0: And on The Michael Medved Show, today is President Reagan's birthday, and it's a day that every American patriot, every conservative in particular, should take uh, very seriously because there are all kinds of lessons uh, that we can take uh, away from President Reagan. In fact, uh, there's a new book uh, written by Chris Christie, which is uh, called What Would Ronald Reagan Do?, and uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to be speaking with Governor Christie about that tomorrow. But today, there is a wonderful piece, and it, it got my attention, it got Jeremy's attention, it got my wife's attention. It's uh, by our friend John West. John is uh, the vice president of Discovery Institute here in Seattle, and he's the managing director of the Center for Science and Culture at Discovery Institute, which he co-founded together with Stephen Meyer way back in 1996. And for 12 years John West was a political science professor at Seattle Pacific University, uh, where he also chaired the Department of Political Science and Geography for several years. Uh, John, congratulations on this piece. And it begins by recalling a uh, prayer breakfast many years ago that took place two days before his birthday in uh, 1988.
1: Is that right? Yes, it does.
0: Uh, Michael, thank you for
1: having me on. uh, It's a privilege to especially be on Reagan's birthday. So, yeah, this was uh, a talk he gave, and someone had shown me or, or directed me to a clip from it. And it started a whole long sort of, uh, not sort of mystery story, but trying to track down where did this come from. So he's speaking, uh, it's the last year of his presidency, so 1988, and that's important um, to understand for what happened later. But so he's before uh, the prayer breakfast, and he starts talking about how he'd always been unable to understand the atheists in this world. You know, the world is and, so uh, beautiful. There's so much wonderful. And how he couldn't really understand why they thought that. And then he said, I've always had an unholy desire to invite some atheist to a dinner and then serve the most fabulous gourmet dinner that has ever been concocted.
0: Okay, let's, after, let, let's let President Reagan oh, yeah. himself uh, hit the punchline here. This is uh, President Reagan from uh, two days before his birthday in 1988 uh listen i have long been unable to understand the atheist in this world of so much beauty and i've had an unholy desire to invite some atheists to a dinner and then serve the most fabulous gourmet dinner that has ever been concocted and after dinner ask them If they believed there was a cook. (laughs) Okay, you found out more about this uh, line of reasoning, which is obviously uh, a very strong uh, argument for intelligent design. You don't have a... uh, a wonderful gourmet dinner just by accident, somebody had to design it and cook it up, right?
1: Yep, and just like in nature, whether the laws of physics or cosmology, the intricacies of chemistry or biology, we see that sort of same level of design and purpose, and so that also points to design. And so, yeah, this is Reagan's riff on this age-old argument for design. And so I began to wonder, well, where did this come from? Was this written by his speechwriter? Um, When did he use it elsewhere? And so this sort of became a sort of historical detective journey. And searching through all of his public papers, it turned out that as president, this was the first time, so in 1988, that he used this story in public as president, according to his public papers. So then I wondered, but it wasn't the last time. He ended up doing it five times, and we'll get – maybe a little later about his private meetings with Gorbachev, but he used it five times in the last year of his presidency. So it didn't appear before then, but it was five times in his presidency. So something, he gravitated toward it, but I wanted to know who did it, who came up with it. And uh, I tried to track down the speechwriter, uh, and I ultimately did, Dana Rohrbacher, former congressman who actually was the designated speechwriter for this. But before that, the Reagan Library very graciously, um, even though I'm not in Southern California, I'm in the Seattle area, was able to scan things for me from the, the draft, the private files, the White House files, uh, showing the development of that speech. And lo and behold, there was nothing on this in the draft speech. So this was added by Reagan. Uh, this was something dear to his heart, it wasn't a speechwriter. Now, where did he ultimately get it? That's an interesting question. I ultimately tracked down that apparently on one of his – Reagan, many people know, in his earlier life, starting in the 1950s when he was uh, representing General Electric, he'd go out and give speeches, and he'd collect comments and jokes and other things on these little note cards. Well, apparently, um, one of those note cards actually had a variation of the story. So this – although this is the first time he used it as president, Um, this apparently went deep into things that Reagan collected. And Reagan overall had a really fascinating sort of fascination both with nature. If you read in his autobiography, he talks about at age five, uh, in one of the many places that his dad rented because his dad didn't have a great job history, so they kept moving. They had a house that in the attic, someone had left this great collection of um, butterflies and other things, and he, he would just go up in the attic and just look through the bird's eggs and butterflies, and just be fascinated, and as he said in his autobiography, it left me with a reverence for the handiwork of God, sort of in nature, that never left him. And then, of course, one of his favorite books was by uh, Whitaker Chambers, the autobiography Witness, where Chambers' account, and this was one of the favorite passages that Reagan would cite, almost actually by heart, where Chambers talks about, you know, when when did he veer away from atheistic materialism? Well, it was his little daughter having breakfast, and his eye came to rest on the delicate, as he wrote, convolutions of her ear, those intricate, perfect ears. The thought passed through my mind, no, those ears were not created by any chance coming together of atoms in nature. They could have been created only by an immense design. And that was Whitaker Chambers from a favorite passage of Reagan. So he had this interest throughout his life, but somehow in the ending year of his presidency, he just kept coming back to this in public meetings and private meetings.
0: And uh, again, uh, this, this idea has to do with Reagan's view of American history as well which is that uh, you can't explain truly remarkable things entirely as happy accidents, and a pattern of happy accidents uh, still represents a pattern. Uh, speaking with uh, John West, uh, when, when we come back, this uh, story you have about President Reagan and Gorbachev uh, is just so remarkable, and I know that uh, you will share it with us. Um, can we just take a moment and talk about some of the things that we might learn from President Reagan that perhaps our leaders could remember right now?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, of course, there are a lot of things. I mean, I do say every age is different, and so um, not everything that, you know, uh, Reagan did is necessarily applicable, but certainly uh, his. Positivism toward America, his, the, his treating of other people uh, civilly, but also his backbone. I mean, Reagan had a lot of backbone um, through much of his career, and, and he was, uh, you know, he stood in the face of that. You know, it, so there was the happy warrior, the civility, but I remember as a college student, you know, having people demonstrate against him, calling him names like Hitler burning flags because they hated him standing for truth.
0: Well, and so how did he handle is, is a product of some kind of accident. Uh, the idea of a design of a purpose in uh, the world was one that he cared about very much. But he uh, was also uh, hurt or disappointed, at least, that uh, that idea uh, never seemed to persuade somebody very close to him. I uh, explain.
1: Yeah. So um, you know, often pundits negatively compared Reagan on the issue of religion and 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 God to say Jimmy Carter, who sort of wore his faith on his sleeve, which Reagan didn't. But we now know, basically through a lot of private letters and other things that have come out, that Reagan was deeply not just religious deeply Christian you know in his and so his son Ron which now it's known more more openly that his son Ron is an atheist and his son Ron has sort of made that clear and really done spots on that but it wasn't yeah, he's done so
0: television ads for atheism
1: <laughs> yes he has um, now having said that his son Ron has actually, Said, I've, you know, has been very respectful of his dad and actually admired his dad for, despite that fact. But that really did. We now know from you know private conversations, other stuff that has come out, that that really troubled his dad and his and Ronald Reagan, Sr. had lots of discussions over the table with his his son Ron, um, not only on his atheism, but on you know, he wanted him to accept Christ as a savior. And that was something that really wore on him. And as he told his other uh, son, Michael, about that, he was praying for, for that, uh, his son. And so that is part of the background. And so then you know, we go to, uh, to, to Russia in the last year of the Reagan administration. It was a year after he said, tear down the wall. And so there, there was the beginning of the thaw. Things were changing under Gorbachev. We were getting some arms control. But Reagan – so going into May 1988, Reagan, though, had something deep on his heart that related to his faith that he wanted to still bring up with Gorbachev. You know, they were handling arms control. They were doing other stuff, political freedom, and he, and he did that too. But the first thing he wanted to address in their one-on, one-on meeting was religious liberty. And we now know, it was just a few years ago, that the private notes, we don't have a complete transcript, but we have the private notes that were taken of that one-on-one meeting that were released finally a few years ago. And it's just fascinating to read, because this is Reagan one-on-one with Gorbachev behind the scenes pressing. Gorbachev. Gorbachev is talking about other things like mission to Mars and just trying to make small talk. And Reagan is going for the jugular in a nice way. That you need to allow religious freedom for everyone in your country, and how deeply important this is. And you know, uh, Gorbachev pushes back. so, well, you know, in your place, you don't have freedom for atheists. And then Reagan actually opens up and says, well, actually, I have a son who's an atheist, and we d- he does have freedom to, uh, unlike in your country. And so Reagan <laughs> was really articulate. You really see him. And then um, again, Gorbachev it's clearly uncomfortable about this conversation, just can't, because Reagan won't give up. He's like a terrier, and very nice. And then Gorbachev goes off again onto the Mars thing, let's do a cooperation. He's trying to say, you know, everything's good, let's go on, let's end the conversation. Reagan at the very end then comes back, and he first shares a story about a soldier that he had recently gotten. Um, I think a a letter from a a widow of a soldier who had died on the battlefield in World War II, and it was a soldier who was reflecting how he'd been lied about that the universe was cold and uncaring and there was no God, and then he was in his, his foxhole, basically, and he was looking up at the stars, and he realized that he'd been lied to, that there was so much more behind the universe that he couldn't understand that there had to be a God. And then this was found on the soldier after he died. Um, and then, But Reagan saved the punchline to the end, which is, um, well, that soldier wasn't American. It was Russian. And then Reagan tops it all off at the end by retelling the story of the banquet. But this time, the only time he tells the story to, to Gorbachev, he actually tells it in a different way. He, in all the other stories, he says, you know, I, I'd like to invite atheists to this banquet and... You know, then ask them, well, is there a cook? With Gorbachev, he says, you know, I, with my son, who's an atheist, I've always wanted to invite my son to the banquet, you know, to set this banquet, and then ask him, you know, do you think there's a cook? And so, you know, this is deeply personal for him. He didn't tell anyone else, but to Gorbachev, he told that. And then, according to the note-taker, this is really the, the clincher at the end, um, Gorbachev said that the only answer to that question of whether there was you know, a cook, which is a stand-in for a creator, the only possible answer was yes. Now, there's been a lot of debate about Gorbachev, and to the end of his life, publicly, he insisted he was an atheist. There have been lots of rumors, but this is just intriguing, both about Reagan and about Gorbachev and about how deeply man of faith that Reagan was.
0: Yeah, and uh, in, in terms of Gorbachev, I mean, considering he was the head of this officially atheist, materialist, uh, socialist, Marxist country, uh, and that he was trying to change it in a more religious direction. I believe they said that uh, his, his wife's name was Raisa, I think, yeah. Gorbachev. That she was more religiously inclined, is that right?
1: Well, no. Actually, I think he was, She was a professor of atheism, and she was actually much more out <laughs> there promoting atheism. But he was. Always, although both as children, it came out later that they were baptized as children, but they had always um, rejected it publicly. But he was a little bit more. But she was very much. She was like I said. She, I think, she gave college classes and promoted dialectical materialism and atheism, but um, he was a little more cagey, although he did publicly to the end of his life say he wasn't a believer, but this, was, this shows a little different insight, and he did open things up you know, after that. And Re- the thing is, Reagan also told the story with this. I mean, there's parts that I didn't even tell uh, in my story, but while he was there, he told the story about the banquet. Again, he invited, it, when he was there, he had to invite people for uh, a celebratory dinner in honor of the host. And he chose to invite 50 or 60 dissidents to come (laughs) along with the government officials, which really made the Soviets angry. And he told the same story.